0: God, I pray that as you've been gripping our hearts already, uh, that you would continue to do so and bring us to a a moment of of, um, health and strength and taking our next step. Thank you, God. Your presence is welcome here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was uh, born in California a long time ago, Uh, not as long as some of you. So some of you are older than me, so but uh, I'm up there in the upper echelon. But uh, I, I never knew my dad. Uh, my mom was a welfare mom. I had two older sisters. When I was five years old, my mother died, and uh, we were passed around in the foster care system uh, from home to home to home to home to home. Some of them were okay. Some of them were definitely not Okay. Uh, but we finally wound up with a family in Santa Barbara, a pastor of a little church. He had five, they had five kids of their own, took us three in. So that's my family to this day, eight kids. And uh, I'm so thankful for a second chance in life. Uh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Um, you know, it was just a few months after that that I began to hear you know, and understand about Jesus at eight years old. I walked down the center aisle of that little Baptist church in Santa Barbara and gave my heart to Christ. I knew that I knew that I knew what I was doing as much as an eight year old can understand, I got baptized i 've never ever regretted that decision. I love Jesus more today than ever before. He has always been faithful i 've not always been faithful. I wish I was, but he 's always been faithful he 's always been there, and he is good and I, w- I want to just say something there's there's different kinds of people here today uh, while I was standing over here worshiping and uh, I just felt that there's different kinds of people there's some of you that have Love God and serve God here for decades, for decades, and you've never given up. Thank you for your faithfulness. There's some of you that have loved God for a, for a long time, but you got burnt. You know what I mean? Uh, you got hurt somehow, some when you're when you're connected with people, human beings. None of us are perfect. Uh, sometimes you do get hurt. And I want to tell you that this is a safe place. You need to be restored because God's not done with you yet. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. God's not done with you yet. If he was done with you, you'd be in his presence. But until then, we have a job to do. And I've told my church, until my last electrons are floating around this brain, if I'm in a hospital bed somewhere and... uh, Sorry, my iPad is just too large. I actually didn't bring my, lap, my uh, iPad, but uh, I'm going to be praying for you. If I can't move, can't open my eyes, if there's any kind of blip on that screen, I'm going to be praying. I'm, I'm going to do what God's called me to do until he brings me into his presence. And there's some of you that have looked at the church or looked at Christians from a distance for a long time. You're here this morning. And I just want to say this, allow God to break the crust off the outside of your heart. Uh, you weren't responsible for some of the things that happened in your life. And I want to encourage you that there is freedom in Jesus. There's only true freedom in Jesus. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so if you want to be released from, from that, uh, take it. It's a big uh, f- step of faith. Say yes to Jesus today. I encourage you. Because you're not here by accident. And there's some of you that are brand new believers. You just recently came to Christ and you're so excited. I want to tell you and encourage you that this is a long race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You keep looking forward. You keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. You forget the stuff that lies behind. You cannot change five minutes ago. You can't. Keep moving for Jesus. And there's some of you that are asking really hard questions like, God, is there really a you? Uh, what, why am I here on this earth? What's my purpose? And I want to say that Jesus is the answer for the world today. All right? So that was free. That was nothing there. Um, I was going to teach on, on freedom and freedom from a poverty spirit. It's been uh, on my heart. I just, but I'm not going to. I changed it yesterday because I felt God say, change it up. And it appears to be, even that, who, who gave that word right here just before you? Richard. Richard. Okay. There you are. I almost sat down because you were preaching my sermon there. So <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit, just a confirmation. Uh, so, and I told these guys a little bit about it, but they didn't say anything. So it's great. I'm excited to be here. But anyway, uh, the whole sermon, Freedom from a Poverty Spirit, I just want to say this. A poverty spirit rejects the sufficiency of God. God's not enough. God is sufficient. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing. And if we understand, and if he's in us, we don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's enough. Sometimes we're thinking. We have stinking thinking. And and we say, God's not enough to get me through this health crisis. God's not enough to help me find a mate in life. God's not enough to get me through this financial crisis. God's not enough to help me uh, get restored with my teenager. God's not enough to repair this broken relationship. He's not enough. I want to say God is enough. God is sufficient, and a poverty spirit rejects the sufficiency of God, and we walk around in poverty of spirit. I'm not talking about poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is, Jesus said, blessed are poor in spirit. That's just simply it's something different. It's when we come to God, we don't bring anything. We bring nothing. We exchange nothing for everything. That's, that's poor in spirit that Jesus blesses, but a poverty spirit rejects the sufficiency of God. Just remember, God is enough. All right, those are two sermons. <laughs> I'm going to speak this morning. Oh, before I speak, I, you know, actually, I'm going to, I'm not preaching that long this morning. I'm going to preach, and I just want to be honest with you. You're probably going to forget this. Next week, they're going to go, what did the guy preach about? Oh, phew, I don't know, but I remember what he did up there. There was an illustration. I remember that. And so I'm going to have some friends. I would like to have brought my church with me today, Westside Church. They would like to have come, that's for sure. I have two of my uh, pastors, two of my uh, guys that are on team with me. And this is Matt and Matt. See if you can remember those names, Matt and Matt. And uh, both fathers, both have three kids, uh, both doing an awesome job uh, at Westside, loving and caring for our people. But I'm going to bring some Westsiders up here. And all you guys come up, just go across the the front, hold up your signs, and uh, I'm gonna. Hopefully the speakers will be okay. I'm gonna just come back here. I'm gonna introduce. These are people from West Side. Got to put on your uh, imagination uh, caps. All right. So. <laughs> um, all right. Aren't they lovely? Aren't they lovely? All right. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, introduce them to you and uh, tell how they came to the Lord, okay? I'll try to do this as briefly as possible. You go, oh my goodness, look at all those people over there. This is Jeff uh, over here. Jeff uh, was a guy who swung past our church one day because we have a four-wheel drive small group. We live in the Sierra Nevada mountains and it's, it's the Rubicon. It's the best place in the world to go jeeping. And so we got guys together and people have, have come to the Lord. He swung in one day, had never been to a church a day in his life. He met the, we- the Westside Wheeler guys and uh, he started going on their trips with them. And pretty soon one day at the back of the church, he gave me a hug and said, Steve, I said yes to Jesus today. And that's awesome. Next to him is Janelle. Janelle grew up in a Jewish home. Uh, When she stepped in Westside, she actually thought that the Lord would strike her dead with a bolt of lightning because she was in a a Christian home, a a Christian church, and uh, she heard the gospel month after month after month, and one day she came up to me as well and said, today I said yes to Jesus for the first time, and I meant it. This is Tom. Tom is an older gentleman in our church. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you get me back later. So, uh, you, know the, you know the older guys that are like gentlemen's gentlemen? He'll do, he's kind, he stands up for it, and he helps come and fix stuff for people and stuff. And uh, he uh, was, I'll just give it away. He and his wife, Joan, uh, they came together. They were both 70 years old. And how they came to Jesus was somebody invited them to church. Joan was at the tomato department in the grocery store and was telling somebody uh, that she didn't have a church to go to. Somebody invited her to church. They came They came to our, our Next Step class, the New Believers uh, class, and I was sharing the gospel, and I saw Joan, and I said, uh, Joan, what's the matter? She goes, I've been to church all my life, and I never understood it till right now. A tear came down. said, Joan, do you want to receive Jesus right now? She said, yes, I do. I said, Tom, do you want to receive Jesus right now? He goes, yes, I do. 70 years old. That is a miracle. 85% of believers come to Christ before the age of 18. And it goes downhill from there. It's really difficult. And so they said yes to Jesus. This is Joey. Uh, Joey is a a guy in our church. He is now one of our elders, one of our pastors. Uh, He had been a high school math teacher and uh, he gave his heart to Jesus because somebody invited him to church. Got involved in our youth group years and years ago. Gave his life to Christ. This is Kenny. When he was a young person in our church, he had stage four, uh, I forget the kind of cancer it was, on chemo, lymphoma, yeah. And... uh, uh, my old pastor, Jesse Mason, said, Kenny, we wanna, it was at a men's breakfast, said, Kenny, uh, we want to pray for you. And we prayed for him. He had just started something like his third round of chemo and it still was going full force. God instantly and totally healed him. And that's been about 12, 14 years ago from now. And now he leads our junior high. He's one of those crazy people. Junior high is a tough age. I don't know what you call it here, but it's the 11, 12, 13 year old kids in school, you know, that, that people come back and their hair is all out and stuff like that. But he does a fantastic job with his wife. Uh, Mike, um, in our church, uh, he came to Christ uh, because uh, his, his wife was ill and so she wanted to go to church. He didn't want to go to church because he was an atheist or at best maybe an agnostic. He's a scientist, and he sat at the back of the church uh, for 18 months with his arms folded, and one day in his logic and his thinking, God broke through that, and he came forward, and uh, now he's been our worship leader for over 20 years at our At our church, this is Tad. He was a young guy in the church. He grew up in the church, and somebody invited him. He had given his heart to Christ. Kind of was falling away at that 16, 17 year old age. Somebody invited him back to our youth group, and he got on fire uh, for the Lord, is living and for God, and he's part of a church plant that we planted in San Jose uh, about six years ago. He's he's leads their worship there now. This is Tina. She's a businesswoman in our church, and she. Um, came to Christ because somebody invited her to church. As simple as that. And um, she's, uh, she's been, the uh, her and her husband had their dream of planting a, a winery and opening a winery in a vineyard and uh, doing very successfully. Uh, their, uh, she was recently named the president of the El Dorado County Wine Association. So she has a whole avenue of people that they can, her and her husband can reach that we would never reach. I don't know those people. And that's their sphere of influence. Uh, next to her is Patty. Patty uh, came to the Lord because her friend uh, came to Christ and they talked and she was a brand new believer. Uh, this was quite a few years ago now. Uh, this is a tough story. Uh, Patty and her friend were walking downtown in our, in our city and they were abducted at gunpoint and taken into the hills, uh, brutally assaulted, and both uh, shot twice in the back of the head, left for dead. Uh, Her friend did not survive. Patty miraculously survived. She still has a bullet in her cheekbone that they can't get out. Uh, Today, Patty is free. She does not walk in bitterness. She walks in forgiveness. She's allowed the grace of God to heal her. It's an amazing miracle. I've been through some stuff, tough stuff in my life. I've never been through anything like that. And yet she's free because Jesus came to set us free. It's a great story. Craig is a law enforcement officer uh, in our church. And he came for a year and a half, sat there every, nice, like the nicest guy, uh, and uh, um, sat there. And one day on Easter morning, uh, about 12, 13 years ago, I gave an altar call and I just said, if you want to give your life to Christ, you know a lot of times people like halfway put up their hand, like you got to really search to find those hands, you know, but his hand shot straight up and it stayed up, stayed up and stayed up and he's been an amazing blessing to our church, leading small groups and and so forth. Uh, Great, great example um, for Jesus. This is Deborah next to him. Deborah uh, prayed for her husband. Uh, she grew up as a believer, but she prayed for her husband. She's up there because she didn't get saved at our church, but she uh, saw a miracle. She saw, eventually saw her husband come to Christ after, being, after praying for 18 years for somebody. Don't give up praying for those people that you love, please. Uh, next to them is Jenna. Jenna is a young mother in, in our church. Uh, she has uh, three little kids, and, but as a teenager, uh, she really got radically challenged to stand up for Jesus. And she was instrumental in starting the youth group in our church. We went, my wife and I have been there twenty years. Uh, The first Sunday we were there, there was uh, twenty-five people, uh, and now there's life and health in our church. But Jenna, there was no teenagers except Jenna and her younger sister, and and like just there was very almost nothing there. But she was instrumental in doing that and helping lead others. Next is Pam. She's a a mom in our church, and she um, had never been to church before. Had, had zero knowledge of the Bible. A friend started um, uh, getting close to her and encouraging her to read a Bible and she read that Mary was a virgin and she called her friend and said, is this true? I have never heard that before. Can you imagine have that much little knowledge? We live in a culturally or a biblically illiterate uh, uh, culture nowadays and so she loves Jesus radically. Who's next to her is Olivia, uh, was a young girl in our church, and uh, uh, she grew up hearing about Jesus uh, after her parents actually got saved, and then she started hearing about Jesus, gave her heart to as a young child. Now she's in uh, university, and a uh, lovely young lady. Next to them is Tyler. Tyler was a 15 year old, uh, and he, uh, he, he was at a birthday party of a friend. And they went paintballing. Do you know what that is, where you go up into the mountains, pretend like you're uh, warriors or something, and you go and shoot each other with paintballs? So, yeah. And so he was doing that, and when he came back, he was unscrewing the canister on his paintball gun, and it had a faulty valve, and it shot like a torpedo about three feet off the ground, one meter off the ground, right as the birthday boy's mom bent over, and it hit her in the head and killed her right there. And so, could you imagine being 15? That happening. Um, he came to Jesus because a couple of our young people were there and surrounded him. A couple of guys surrounded him and supported him and lifted him up, brought him to youth group. He, he got saved just shortly after that and uh, his mom brought his mom. His mom got saved and... And now he's one of our elders at our church, 18 years later. It's an amazing thing, or 16 years later. God is so good. Next to him we have Joe. Joe was a football, American Gridiron football fanatic. And football, uh, uh, pro football is on Sundays. You don't, guys who are football fanatics don't go to church on Sundays. His wife dragged him to church and he said, I'll go once but I'm never going back. He went once and he's never missed. It's been 19 years since Joe comes. He's never missed church unless he's been so sick he can't get out of bed or he's been out of town. And uh, he was on our eldership for 12 years. Great guy. And that's how people came. So you guys, thanks so much. Let's give our Westsiders a big hand. And so, all right, hold on to those signs. I might call you back up here after a while. All right, here's what the Bible says in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What do we call this? The great commission. All right? It's not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. And it's not our mission, it's his mission. We are on co-mission with him. All right? Uh, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now, when you teach somebody to obey somebody's commands, when your kids, uh, when you teach your kids to brush their teeth, you you ultimately want them to want to brush their teeth, right? Not just because it's a rule. You ultimately want them to want to study. All right, that's the goal. How do you, you can teach what Jesus' commands are. How do you teach people to obey what Jesus' commands are? It's more difficult. That's called discipleship. This what we're doing here this morning is part of discipleship getting in fellowship and with smaller groups of people That's part of discipleship getting into God's Word and praying and learning how to spend time with God That's part of discipleship living a life where you share your faith in your sphere of influence uh, That is discipleship that's teaching them to become disciples So if you follow Christ you're a disciple you're in the process of becoming his disciples and so he tells us to go and he tells us how to make disciples He says, first, you baptize them. Baptism is is an amazing thing. If you have not been water baptized because you don't fully agree with it uh, or you don't fully understand it, find out and get baptized because it's the first command Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. They said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized and quit smoking. Repent and be baptized and start going to church every Sunday. No, he said repent and be baptized. What is baptism? It's a public declaration that you're a Christ follower. So when you repent, that's in your heart. Nobody can see your heart. Sorry, we're not God. God sees your heart, but nobody else does. You there, then you go out and you declare it to the world. And there's a cost sometimes to do that. Sometimes people resist. Yeah, I said yes to Jesus. I don't want to do that baptism. Right? No. It's have you accepted Christ? Are you going to deny him? Or are you going to do what was commanded there? And it's simple. It's, it's, it's our hearts and our actions all for the kingdom. Uh, second, teach them to obey. Uh, that means we treasure them, guard them, own them. So go is the first word in the Great Commission. And uh, so you a- have to ask yourself, do I have a going mindset? Do I have a going mindset? And, and going and sending has always been part of God's plan. With, way back with Abraham in Genesis 11, when God says, uh, comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to uh, go from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Abraham is the father of faith because he didn't even know where he was going. God said, I will show you where that's going to be. And I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Uh, you and uh, to him who dishonors you I'll a curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed so Abraham went God said go and he went as the Lord told him so he had to leave leave means you you put behind you that's it's a big thing he's called the father of faith for a reason he left his country number one left his country Now, my friends, Russ and Mary Doty, are heroes in my book because they're from the States. Second they got married, they went to Mauritius, an island in the Pacific, and spent a couple years there. They came back to our church. Then they went to South Africa for a couple years, came back. Then they went to Australia for uh, 12, 13 years, planted a church in Melbourne, turned it over to their son, Matt, and and, uh, Elodie. And then they came back to the States, helped plant another church in Denver for another 10 years. Now they're here. And that's, they're, they're going. They're willing to give up their comfort zone. That's leaving your country. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. I love this quote. He said, if God calls you to be a missionary, missionary simply means sent one. If God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. God calls you to be a missionary. Don't stoop to be a king. Whatever God calls you. Now, this going mindset, you, you leave your people. Abraham had to leave his, his people. That's your friends and your peers and those that are familiar with you and, and your church family and everything. When you leave, when you get up and leave, uh, I know what that's like. My wife and I left our church. We were at 22 uh, years. We, uh, our kids grew up there. That was our, you know, where we were set. We could have finished that out. And, and God, in midlife, they, God called us. And we were both living our dream jobs, and I was the superintendent of a Christian school with 1,000 kids in it every day and, and, and 300 homeschool families, and she was an attorney in Orange County, Southern California, and God said, boom, I'm changing. So we took a, a 60% pay cut and went up to this little church in Northern California. It's, you leave the stuff that you're familiar with where you don't have a track record. When Russ and Mary came here, they didn't have a track record. The people didn't know them. You guys are in that still testing phase where you're getting to know them. I want to tell you that you won't be burnt uh, with them. Uh, Someone once said that the true greatness of any church is not how many people it seats, but in how many people it sends. So if this church owned this building, there could be a sign on that door over there. When you leave, it says you are now entering the mission field because it's out there, not in here. This is the safe place. This is not supposed to be the place where you get beat up, chewed chewed up and spit out. This should be the safe place as the church. Out there, yeah, we get ripped up and we come back here, army crawling back in next week so that we can get encouraged and strengthened, build out and go out and do it again. That's this going and sending culture. And you leave your family. It's not easy. There's a price to pay, uh, but the privilege is of eternal benefit. So uh, Abraham demonstrated that to us. So the plan is simple. Uh, the objective is to evangelize the world. And the way we do it, the method is to make disciples. I think that's amazing. So, looking around, here's some great disciple makers. How about Jim Elliott? I love this guy. Maybe you could do what he did. He's the guy who said, he is no fool who gives that he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Have you ever heard that quote before? He's no fool who gives what he can't keep. You're not going to keep it anyway. This world's going to pass away. To gain that which he cannot lose. An eternal uh, uh, reward to be in God's presence and so forth. What a great quote. So uh, he's, probably, he's probably one of the most famous missionaries of the 20th century. In, in 1956, he and, and four friends, or yeah, five of them were killed by the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Here's the actual Here's the actual picture of his diary where he wrote that, if anybody's interested. It's got a little green highlight on the left. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's a great thing. So the, here's a picture of the guys, his friends. It was in 1956. These guys went down to... They were establishing uh, contact with these the Alka Indians who were known as headhunters, and they had, they had uh, never had human or, uh, you know civilized contact, et cetera. And they went in and befriended them and they were all killed. Here's the, here's the thing about that story is their wives went in after them and picked up where they left off. And that entire tribe came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? I grew up hearing those stories. It's fantastic. My dad was good friends with Nate Saint and Ed McCully at Wheaton College. And so, there's a story told of Jim Elliott's pastor who uh, wanted to see the site where they were killed on this river sandbank. And uh, the pilot said, that's right down there where Jim died. And his pastor goes, no. And the pilot goes, yeah, that's where he died. And his pastor goes, no, I was there when Jim died. He came down the aisle, gave his heart to Christ. He gave it up then. That was just afterwards. I'll tell you what, when you encounter Jesus, you'll never be the same again. Never. Or maybe you could do what John the Apostle did. First John, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. We've seen and heard. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he's the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So, what does He say here? He says that we encountered Jesus. We saw Him. We touched Him. We were with Him. We spoke to Him. We we walked. Matt just went to Israel this year, and, and you know, you, Jesus goes down here. He goes down to Jericho. He goes to Capernaum, and like. You had to walk 200 miles, which is what, 320K. So I'm sure along the way, they had a lot to talk about. We could read everything that Jesus said. All the red letters in your Bible, you could read in less than an hour probably. But they did a lot of stuff. We, John goes, we knew him. We encountered him. And then we proclaim him. Our job is to tell others. So what does this mean for us? Well, John said we encountered him, we proclaim him. Have you encountered Jesus? Do you just know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? There's a big difference. Do you just know about him or do you know him? Have you encountered Jesus? Because if you've truly encountered Jesus, you'll never be the same again. You may not put your hand up to go down to Ecuador and get killed. But we take up our cross daily. We're dying daily, the Bible says. The woman at the well encountered Jesus. She was never the same again. Nicodemus, the guy who came to Jesus at night, encountered him. He was never the same again. The guy born blind. I was once blind, but now I see. Uh, The thief at the cross. He was with Jesus that day in paradise. Paul on the road to Damascus. He encountered Jesus and was never, ever, ever the same again. That's an amazing thing. The next question is here, here is, do you proclaim Jesus? To me, that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's the best thing that ever could happen to anybody. And then sometimes we don't tell people about it. So of course we would want to share that. In Acts chapter 4, it says they called the apostles back and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now, a lot of us go, ah, "I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just not that person. I'm not going to stand out on a street corner with a bullhorn and tell everybody what knuckleheads they are. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to embarrass everybody, put them on the spot. You know, I'm, I just don't have the right words. I don't have all the answers. You know, maybe someday you'll have a great ministry, but how about today? Because every second, three people on this planet are slipping into eternity. Every second. So it's an amazing thing. So the Great Commission equals going. It's an attitude. It's a way way of life. It's who we encounter when we go out there. Each of you has a sphere of influence. You know what I mean? There's people you know that other people in here don't know. So, with the group in here right now, we have tentacles into this city that that could be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we can reach, because you know them and we don't. You know their you know their language. You might be like Tina, who knows the winemaker's language, you know, and she can relate to them. And, and she's uh, brought their, her and her husband have single-handedly brought more people to Westside than I think anybody else, just because they have they're doing this going thing. So in Luke chapter 10, I want to go, uh, oh, wait a minute. I want to give this quote. How about you? Does your life proclaim Jesus as Lord? And so in the middle, here's the quote, in the middle of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. We just speak up. So in Luke chapter 10, this is, could be a whole sermon, but we're going to do a two-minute sermon here. Jesus gives us a pattern, not the pattern, but a pattern, a way. So he says this. I'm going to read a bit and then comment, read a bit and comment until we get through this uh, nine verses. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples, sent them ahead in pairs in the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. We don't have to pray for a harvest. The harvest is there. We have to pray for workers. So pray to the Lord who's in, char- who's in charge of the harvest. So the first step is to pray pray, pray. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. And this includes you. It includes me. Verse three says, now go. That's the great commission. And then it continues. And remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. So guard your heart. Get out there. And, and you're like lambs among wolves. Just be innocent and be humble and don't, don't think that you know it all. And then verse four says, do do not take money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. There we go. What? I'm supposed to not (laughs) greet anybody? No, the whole point here, because in those days when people came to each other on the road, you could see them from a mile off. And then they sat down, it was tradition, they would sit down and eat something together and catch up on all the news. That takes hours. And so... It says, no, just stay focused. You have a job to do. In your workplace, everywhere you're going. I know, it's going down there. So, Um, stay focused there. And then this one here says, when you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be in this house. When you meet people, bring peace. Be a peacemaker. Don't be a jerk. I hope that's not offensive, but you know what I mean. There's not many other words that cover that one. I'm not sure if it's true in Australia or not, but... If those who live there are priestful, the blessing will stand. If not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. That means be patient when God puts somebody on your heart, co-worker, classmate, a family member. Be patient. Hang out with them. Heal the sick, it says in verse 9. That means minister to them where they're at. But I know you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition, but I did. Just minister to them. To their need are they thirsty give them something to drink um and remember that uh when we get into the justice mode i know that's high up in, on our radar nowadays is justice and things like that but i want to tell you that this justice without jesus is an eternal injustice what good does it mean if we feed them and clothe them here and they spend eternity apart from jesus it's got to be with Jesus. So finally, it says, it says, tell them the kingdom of heaven is near you now. So you've loved them, you've been patient, you've taken care of them, you've ministered to them where they're at, and then start telling them about the kingdom. In other words, someday you might befriend people and represent the love of God and the generosity of God and the peace and mercy of him. Someday you're going to have to use your words and say, I love Jesus and tell them or invite them. So that's one of the things that you have. It's your best weapon in sharing your faith is your story. What Jesus means to you. Isn't that awesome? I shared my story with you in 90 seconds. My goal is to be able to share my story in 90 seconds. I grew up, and my mom died, foster homes, parents led me to Christ, da-da-da-da. So you have to have that elevator speech. That might be all the time you have with somebody. Before they cut you off, but get it. Practice it. If you get together in life groups or small groups, practice it. Practice your story. Practice a thirty-second version and a ninety-second version. And then, if they ask follow-up questions, be ready to share. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. Peter said, "All right." So here's the thing: is that nobody can take your story away. You own it. Nobody can say, "No, that didn't happen. That didn't happen." Nobody can take your story away. Be ready to share your story. Now, I'm going to uh, just call my Westsiders up here. Back up, because I have something I want to show you. All right, I'm going to ask you to divide up into two groups and just split. Keep the whole center open. Make a big room in the, in the center, like a whole row wide. And I'm going to ask Jenna to come out front and center. Yay. All right, take a step forward just a bit right here. Take another step forward. There we go. All right, so I'll be a little prescriptive on telling you where to stand, because there's a reason. When we, uh, My wife and I came up to Westside. Jenna uh, was a teenager. She came up to me, and she goes, can we start a youth group? And I said, yeah, you're it. You're now the youth group. All right? And I said, start inviting people. And so she did. But she was also a babysitter. Fifteen-year-olds, that's, that's big money, right? Babysitters. So there was neighbors down the street, Joe and Pam. Joe and Pam. So just stand next to Jenna. And they had a little girl named Olivia. All right? This is their daughter. She was 18 months old. Just stand right in front of Mom and Dad. Olivia right there. Aw. Isn't that cute? So... Now Olivia is a university student. Uh, Pam was the one who had never been to church before, didn't know anything, didn't know that Mary was the mother of Jesus, a virgin. Joe was the football guy. Just see, see? And, and, and Joe and Pam just go, Jenna, you're such a nice young lady. Why are you like that? And she goes, I love Jesus. You want to come to my church? That's it. The great evangelist. All right? That's it. Isn't that amazing? And so... Uh, Jenna also got one of our young guys in the church, uh, Tad, come over and stand next to Jenna. She goes, let's start this youth group. Let's get this thing going. Now, there was never any connection other than friendships there. They're both happily married to other people, but they're friends. And so Tad and Jenna began to gather young people. Well, Tad was working at a paintball field one day when uh, Tyler, come and stand next to Tad, Tyler had that tragic accident, so Ted and you know it's not just one person who leads one other person to the Lord. There's there's a group effort. There's people that plant seeds and some water, some, but there's these there's all the direct connection. There's other wonderful people that had a part to play, the grandmas that were praying, you know things you know circumstances in life, but. Uh, uh, Tyler came, Tad and a couple guys surrounded uh, Tyler. Tyler came, and Tyler's best two friends since kindergarten were uh, Joey and Kenny. So Joey and Kenny come and stand with Tyler. So these three compadres, two of them are on eldership now, and one's a deacon in in our church. They're still uh, good buddies, and uh, they're now in their late 20s. Now they're early 30s, 30 or 31-ish. And uh, so they just said, okay, bring these guys, so Tyler brought Kenny and Joey, and and, and they got saved eventually, and the great thing is they all marry these cute young girls in our church, and so uh, God's got plans there, and so um, Pam, back to Pam, she's at the grocery store, and she is by the Tomatoes, and she overhears two Two ladies saying, I don't know what church to go to. We're looking for a good church. We can't find anything. And Pam goes, I know a church for you. And she, Joan, and then Joan brings her husband. Joan and and Tom stand right behind Pam. She invites Joan to church. Joan and Tom uh, get saved at 70 years old. Just because Pam said, we have a good church. You come. She goes, I'll pick you up. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. The great evangelist Pam, all right? Does that, is this starting to show something? So uh, not long after uh, Joan and Tom get saved, uh, several years ago, Tom slipped into the arms of Jesus, and he is with Jesus right now. And possibly if Pam hadn't have invited Joan to church, that connection, isn't that God is totally in control of these things so uh then we have joe who's next to pam joe uh uh his daughter developed a f- uh was at school with uh craig's daughter and they would meet every day and pick up their kids so craig come up next to joe joe developed a friendship with craig meanwhile behind the scenes deborah was craig's hu- a wife and she had been praying For Craig for 18 years and Craig gave his heart to Jesus. Craig loves four-wheel driving and a couple years later he and a couple other guys said can we start a four-wheel drive small group at church and I go sure just whatever your passion is use it to serve the kingdom. So uh, Jeff and Janelle are married and they go over and stand behind Craig because Jeff came in and he started going to Westside Wheeler events that's what we call that small group and then after a while, he dragged Janelle there. Jeff was the president of the El Dorado County Four-Wheeling Association, and uh, Jeff and Janelle are, both came to me on the same day and said, we said yes to Jesus today for the first time, and we meant it. Gave our hearts to Christ. About a year later, Jeff called Janelle on his phone, and... Uh, said, I, I'm not feeling so good. She goes, well, go to the hospital. So he went to the hospital and died on the spot with a heart attack, a massive heart attack at 41 years old, two, two young boys at home. Jeff is with Jesus now because he said yes. Tina, come and slip in behind Pam here somewhere. Joan was Tina's friend, and she wouldn't go to church unless she brought Tina. So they came to church together, the connection there. So all this stems from Jenna. Good job, Jenna. All right. What did she do? She said, I love Jesus. Do you want to come to church? You see two left. Well, Mike is Jenna's dad. He was the agnostic atheist. You can stand right smack in front of Jenna. And because he led us home well, he came to Christ pre-children. Pre-children. Because he led us home well, his kids grew up to love Jesus. And the last one is Patty. Patty, come stand right in front of Mike. In front of, yeah, there you go because it actually didn't start with Jenna, it started with Patty. Now, one day in church we're worshiping and all these people are standing behind me and the Holy Spirit just goes "Brr," like downloads this picture. And, and we often don't see the people, like we know somebody who might have led us to the Lord, but we don't know who led them to the Lord, who led them to the Lord, who led them to the Lord. But I wanna tell you, whoever led you to the Lord, somebody led them to the Lord, And it goes all the way back to Jesus on the mount, when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't take much. But Patty had a choice, a a horrific challenge came to her in her life. And some people, that becomes, they pick it up and that becomes their identity. I'm a victim the rest of my life. And they win the sympathies of everybody because it's horrible. But Patty said, no, that's behind me. God's uh, forgiven him. He's healed me. He's restored me. I I have the effects of it. The scars will always be there. But I'm going to move forward and I'm going to keep looking at Jesus. And she did. I want to encourage you, sometimes we discount Ourselves because we don't know the answers to every question because we don't know the Bible forward and backward but we can love people. It was in a prophetic word this morning. It was it's it was through the songs we can love and we can care for people in our sphere of influence. I want to challenge you that there are people in your sphere of influence that one little question: Do you want to come to church? You want to come to my small group? You want to come over for dinner? You want to have a cup of coffee? Uh, you, You look like you're hurting today. Do you mind if I pray with you? Is there somehow some way that we can connect people because God? has you out there for a purpose and he's called you to go and to represent him well. And honestly, this is not emotional. It's hard for me. I I actually don't like doing this because it's so emotional for me. But I want to challenge you that you can do it. You can represent Jesus in your sphere of influence. You can and God's not done with you, and God's not done with this church. And he wants to impact this, this city, and he wants to set this region free from the bondages and the chains that the devil puts on people. And Jesus is the only way to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well done, you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Love you guys. I think the word of God speaks for itself. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the worship time and the fellowship that we've had here. God, thank you for changing people's lives one person at a time. Groups of people don't come into the kingdom. Individuals come into the kingdom. Thank you, God, that we can be a part of your plan, that you've called us and commissioned us to do that. Help us to not drop the ball. Help us to be faithful with what you've called us to do. God, this is a big deal. The older ones of us have friends, circle of influence. The younger ones have friends, circle of influence. Use us where we're at, God. Use us, we pray. I wanna ask if there's anybody here today who's never said yes to Jesus, never truly given your heart to Jesus. You know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. There's some people up here that would love to pray with you and talk to you. I want to see if there's anybody who wants to give their heart to Christ today. Would you just put your hand up where you're at, right where you're at. Some of you have been sitting here And saying, you know, I want to get that passion for others back. I am a believer in Jesus, but I've just gone just a little bit off track. Maybe even 1%. 1% isn't much. But if it's 1% in 10 years, you might be way off by then. I want to encourage you, today is the day. Resolve in your heart that today is the day I'm back on track following Jesus. I'm going to make a difference in my sphere of influence. I'm going to represent him well. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you.